Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Johnston Community College in Smithfield, North Carolina, underwritten by Anchor, where everyone can make a podcast for free. So, has anybody ever read this book? You've heard of it? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, there's, if you Google books a business student should read or business books you should read, this is probably going to appear on a list, you know, of a top 50 or top 100 books. This is probably the first business book I read. My parents gave me a copy when I was a teenager, and I read it. And uh, it's a short book, maybe 120, 150 pages, very, you know, very easy to read. And I can go ahead and give you kind of the big bullet points here of what the book contains. Um, but I am convinced that this book is an important book for not only read as a business student, but as an individual that's interested in having a successful financial future. Look at these top seven. Save 10% of your earnings. It seems so all these advice points will seem like things you've probably heard before and they seem obvious. But you'd be surprised how many people don't save 10% of their income or don't save any income. And so, like, if you look at what people earn versus what they save, um, you you could be making $30,000 a year, and then the next year you make $100,000, and you feel just as broke as you, you were when you were making $30,000. There's a, there a story that I read about a dentist. The dentist was making, like, $200,000 a year, and his assistant Administrative assistant was making $35,000 a year. So the dentist literally makes about six times what the administrative assistant makes. But the administrative assistant was saving 10% of her income and living frugally. And the dentist was spending more than that $200,000 salary and ended up being just in debt and uh, bankrupt after an extended period of time, whereas the administrative assistant had savings to fall back on. So... um, the point being here with this is when you get a career-based job, don't hesitate to go ahead and open a retirement account, especially if the employer has some type of match. My wife has a works for a company that has a match, and I'm trying to encourage her to increase her savings because I'm like, imagine I give you a dollar and then you give me $2 back. That is magic. That's what a match does for you. It automatically doubles your money. And so, but a lot of people just can't, they don't have the capacity to say, Oh, but I can't, I can't touch this money for 30 or 40 years. Yeah. Do you know how horrible it is to retire in this country and you've worked your whole life and then all you have to rely on is Social Security? That is not a good proposition. So if you can save 100000 200000 500000 or more to have in your retirement nest egg, you're going to have a different quality of life as an older person than not. So saving 10% is important. Don't spend more than you make. It seems like common sense. So many people don't do that. Make money work for you. And what it's talking about there is investing. Right now, money market accounts, which are just basically risk-free investments, are generating uh, around 4.5%. I have a friend, bless you, I have a friend who's wealthy, and um, he, he's getting, that. he put all his cash into money markets, and he's getting a very nice return. I think we, when we looked at it, and he's getting somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year in interest just on a basically a risk-free investment. And uh, that's, that's what having wealth can do for you. Safeguard your wealth. Uh, what we're talking about there is diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Very simple stuff. Be a homeowner. Uh, paying rent every month. There's advantages and disadvantages. You can find articles online that talk about both. But if you're a renter, there's advantages there. But the big disadvantage is that you have no equity going into your investment. Um, for years, I didn't buy a house. In fact, uh, my wife's grandmother passed away, and we inherited a house. It was never titled to us. It stayed in my, my mother-in-law's name, but um, they wanted us to go live in it just so it wouldn't be run down and uh, it wouldn't dilapidate or fall apart. But in any case, um, I delayed buying a house for 10 years because of that you know, opportunity. But when I finally bought a house two years ago, because of the crazy inflation we've got now, my house value has gone up $40,000 in two years. And what, let me explain what that means uh, for those of you that don't know much about it. So if you buy a house, let's just say $200,000, and that house value goes up $50,000, that's what you call equity. And so if you sell that house for two fifty, dollars you could pay off that $200,000 note and you just made $50,000. 
That's, that's how appreciation works. Now, it's not always the case. We had a situation in the late 2000s, uh, 2007, seven eight, where housing prices went down. And so you can run into negative equity situations, but uh, historically, houses have appreciated in value. Insure uh, your future income. Yeah, once again, a lot of people, when I say a lot, I mean 60, 70% of individuals in this country, their retirement plan is Social Security. That is not a good retirement plan. So many people in their 20s and 30s think, oh, retirement is way off, but I'll be 44 next month. Not old, but you can see the grades coming in, and before you know it, I'll be 55, and then I'll be 65. You know, So it's too late to plan that 65. You need to start as early as you can with that number one, saving 10% of your income. And then improve your skills to earn more income. That's what you guys are doing here, improving your skills to earn more income because having an education does make you more competitive in the marketplace. It gives you a skill set that other people want to validate you to say this individual has discipline to be able to seek out an education to complete a course of study. And if you show that you can complete a course of study, you're validating yourself to an employer to say, this individual showed up to class, they did the work, they graduated. I feel like I can rely on that individual to show up and do a job. That's basically what you're validating. And so highly recommend Richest Man in Babylon, uh, George Clayson. You can get a copy for probably 3 or $4 on eBay. I usually buy copies of this, give them away to friends and family. Um, I've given away multiple copies of this. So just highly recommend for you guys to check that out uh, on your own time. So... Today's discussion is on ethics, and the first thing I want to talk about is the ethical dilemma. Does anybody know what that is? What's an ethical dilemma? Situation where you don't really know what to do. And guess what? Ethical dilemmas pop up all the time in our lives and in society where you can kind of see the, the rationale for both, you know? Like a good example is Batman. Right? Everybody like Batman? You know who Batman is, right? What does Batman do for a living? He fights crime, right? So Batman goes and stops bad guys. Would everybody agree that's a good thing? You agree that stopping bad guys is a good thing? Batman is good? Well, did you know the police are always trying to arrest Batman? Why? They don't like it because they don't have anything to do. It takes away from their job. It takes away from their job, but what else? He's a vigilante. And vigilantes are it's illegal to be a vigilante where you're going out and enforcing your own justice. So in actuality, in our world, Batman would be looking at as somebody who's walking around with these weapons that is assaulting and, and battery against the public. You know, I mean, even if they're bad guys, you're not supposed to go around and beat up bad guys. That's 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 there's an ethical dilemma there, you know. But you can say, oh, Mr. Bradshaw, you know, but these bad guys are bad guys. You know, but we should let Batman beat them up. That's an ethical dilemma, you know? And so you see Commissioner Gordon, who's the guy that manages Batman or talks to Batman, he kind of looks the other way. He knows that Batman is a vigilante. vigilante. He knows that he's a, a bad guy and a good guy at the same time, right? But let's, let's look at some other dilemmas. Uh, if I, there's actually, this has been studied. Uh, there's been multiple cases where they looked at human behavior. Um, there's actually a whole branch of science, behavioral psychology, so if I asked you, let me ask you a question. If, I, if you walk in the room and nobody's in the room and there's a $1 bill on the ground and there are zero, I mean zero risk of you getting in trouble or anybody found out that you pick up that dollar bill and put it in your pocket, do you have a reservation against doing that? Well, would you do that? Would you take that dollar bill and put it in your pocket? You can be honest. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Yeah. Nobody's going to find out, right? There's nobody in here. It's dark. It's $1 bill. What if it was a $100 bill? Does that change... Does that change the metrics for you at all? Maybe. Maybe? Maybe? Changes a little bit? So what about you, Angel? Would you put that $100 bill in your pocket, or would you report that $100 bill missing? Yeah, I'll put it in my pocket. Okay. <laughs> I love the honesty. That's great. Yeah. It's an ethical dilemma, right? It's like, well, you can look at it as if I turn this dollar, this $100 bill in, you know, they're Anybody could claim it's theirs, right? And then I found it, so I wouldn't get to keep it, you know? So money is really a bearer instrument, meaning that if you hold that money, it's yours. I mean, I don't know. There's an ethical dilemma there, right? And so um, they actually did a, a test where they um, did dice rolls with uh, 
participants in the study, and they said, okay, we want you to roll the dice. We're not going to look at what the outcome is. We're going to be behind a wall. But we want you to roll the dice and tell us um, top or bottom of the roll uh, what the number is, and we'll give that number to you in money. So, like, if you imagine they roll, like, a, a 10 on top and, like, a 4 on the bottom, they say, oh, yeah, I rolled a 10 on top. You can give me $10, you know, or whatever. And so what they found was is that people were more honest when the money went to them, but they were more dishonest when they changed the metric to say that it benefit a, a family in need. So, like, if you everything's the same, but you say, well, um, instead of giving you the money, we're going to give it to a woman, a single mom who has three kids. Her husband recently passed away, and she would really benefit from the money. What they found was that people were the the the, the dice rolls changed, except the dice rolls didn't change. The people's interpretation of the dice rolls changed, so they lied about the outcomes of the dice roll to give the single mom more money. Um, and so I thought that was a really interesting study, but it's an ethical dilemma. You know, what we found is that people will lie or compromise their integrity when there's a positive outcome for that. In that same note, where's the practical application for all this? You might be thinking, what's Bradshaw talking about? Dice roll and stuff? What does that have to do with business in real life? Here's what it has to do with real life. When I was a manager at Walmart, we had the loss prevention officer stopped a mother and daughter for stealing. What were they stealing? That's a good guess. They were, they were stealing food. Why were they stealing food? Because they were hungry. And so I get called back to the back, and there is loss prevention and me and, and another manager. And they had probably $30 worth of food in their purse and on their body. And so you got people who are stealing food. What do you do in that scenario? Do you call the police? Do you, leave, do you let them off with a warning? What do you do? I mean, like, it's an ethical dilemma, right? I mean... The company would enforce or would have you enforce that you call the police on shoplifters. What do you think we did? What, what, what do you think we did? What's that? Pay for the groceries. Who? Them or us? Us. We pay for the groceries. What, what do you think we did? We called the police. I didn't call the police. But, <laughs> <laughs> but here's the ethical dilemma. If I had not called the police or if, if they didn't call the police, um, there were, might have been negative consequences for me because even though I didn't steal anything, I did not enforce the law of the company. And I still feel bad about that to this day, even though this happened in like probably 2007, 2008, you know, it's just been a while. But I think about that mom back there crying because she was stealing food for her family and got caught. What's up? You got a comment, Logan? I don't know about North Carolina. I haven't been in retail management in a while, but some states, yeah. Um, I don't know what the threshold is. And some some companies now, like, don't even stop shoplifters anymore, hardly. I mean, but there's a term in retail called shrink. Does anybody know this term? You, you might know it. I don't know. Um, shrink is where you have a store full of product, and every year it shrinks a little bit because of theft and loss. Um, and most of the shrink occurs internally. People that work for them stealing. But Target has lost a billion dollars in the past year due to shrink. I mean, huge numbers where people are stealing. And shrink goes up when the economy goes down or when inflation goes up. Shrink goes up because people want to keep getting the same amount of product, but they can't afford it. So they start stealing some, you know, things like that happen. So, But are there any ethical limits that you can think of that have happened in your life where it really wasn't clear what the right thing to do was? Sir. That's not good.
It's terrible. Two or three years yeah. on the job. But the thing is, he's a really good employee. He knows everything you know about electrical. My dad is a family business. He really did not want to fire him, so eventually he didn't. But he put him on, uh, I guess you could say, probation. Where one little thing he gets fired, he didn't show up to work the next day, so he got fired. Yeah. But it was a big thing in the office saying, what did we do? Because we already liked MC. Right. But at the same time, you can't be good at everyone that risks like that. So there's been situations that we didn't look so you know I've said this and I'll, I'll keep saying it there's a lot of parallels between what we learned in this class and what you can take to your personal life and I actually thought about this while, while I was away for the weekend this might be the most important class you ever take in college and I, I mean that because there's a lot of practical application that we take from the things we talk about that can be applied to your personal life but just like with your family if you don't set a boundary with your employees, if you don't set boundaries with your family, people will cross those boundaries. And, um, you know, like if you have a family member who is an alcoholic or drug addict, if you don't establish a boundary, they will get enabled to keep using that drug or alcohol. Same thing with your employee. Firing that employee was probably the best thing that ever happened to them because they know that I've messed up. You know, you're, you're, there's a consequence to their actions. Without a consequence, people will keep doing that action. And he could have got somebody killed. He could have got himself killed. You have to look at it from the scenario of the liability to your to the people around them and the company. What if they're driving down the road and kill a, a kid? You know, run over a kid, uh, collide with a van full of children. I mean, you know, there's just all kinds of endless possibilities. And um, that was that needed to happen. It needed to happen a long time ago because by giving them a pass, you're enabling that behavior. Same thing. One of the easy ones in the workplace that that gets swept under the rug a lot is things like sexual harassment. That's something we talk about in this class when we get to the HR chapter. Um, it, it, it happens so much that we have to keep teaching about it and talking about it. And, you know, a comment is made to, it doesn't matter who the comment's made to, and management may hear about it or learn about it, but they look the other way and sweep it on the rug because they minimize it and think it's going to go away. All that does is enable that behavior, and it encourages that behavior to repeat. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you see it time and time again, and then it's obvious on the back end, that somebody should have done something. You know, you, you've heard that saying, see something, say something. You heard that saying? That we have that saying because on the back end of these incidents, it was obvious that somebody should have said something. Somebody should have stepped up. Um, and time and time again, we see it in our society where leaders, you know, that we trust don't step up, whether it's in a business, in a community, uh, in government, doesn't matter. Uh, they, they sweep things under the rug and hope they go away. But stepping up and doing something about it is really what needs to happen because we, we keep those consequences uh, in check, you know, let them know there, there are consequences to your actions. So, all right, so we've talked about ethical dilemmas, and there's a ton, and we'll get into it. But for this chapter, <clears throat> the learning outcomes, chapter four, explain why obeying the law is only the first step in behaving ethically. Ask the three questions you need to answer when faced with a potentially unethical action. Describe management role in setting ethical standards. This one really bothers me when you have unethical managers and leaders that are doing the unethical thing and everybody sees it. And it's like, okay, they're doing it. So that's, you know, it's not good. Distinguish between compliance-based and integrity-based ethics codes and list the st six steps in setting up a corporate ethics code. Define corporate social responsibility and compare corporations and responsibilities to various stakeholders. Analyze the role of U.S. businesses in influencing ethical behavior and social responsibility in global markets. So a lot to take in, but we'll take it slow. So life after scandal. Scandals have, been, have shaken the real estate, mortgage, and banking industries. How do we restore trust in a free market system? Punish those who have broken the law. Make accounting records more transparent and consider what is ethical, not just what's legal. We have something that happens today pretty frequently. It's called being canceled, Right. You know what that is? What happens when we're canceled? Any social media, right? So there is a public check and balance that's happening in real time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that if you do something the public construes as unethical, yeah, they're going to they're gonna jump on you and hold you accountable. Maybe not in a court of law, but in the court of public opinion, uh, you'll be held accountable for your actions. So in 2016... The Consumer Finance Protections Bureau fined Wells Fargo $185 million 
for creating more than 1.5 million fake accounts and 500,000 fraudulent credit cards in customers' names without their knowledge. This was a huge scandal. This brought widespread attention to a number of other scandals associated with the financial services firm, which has resulted in Wells Fargo paying out billions of dollars in lawsuit settlements. No one went to jail for this. <clears throat> what happened was, there's a documentary on Netflix that talks about it. Go to Netflix, Google Wells Fargo, it'll pop up. But <clears throat> it talks about how they were so intense with their associates that you have to have so many new accounts every day, every week, that the associates could not keep up. Like, the, the one associate said, look, <clears throat> there's only like 4,000 people in this town, and we've talked to every one of those 4,000 people. Where are we going to get new accounts from? So they started making up accounts. So at first with their friends and family. They called their friends and family and said, look, just open an account. It, it won't cost you anything. We just get credit for opening it. After they exhausted their friends and family's extra accounts with any possible account, they started going under just customer names lists and just going down the list and opening up fake accounts. Just the, the customers were getting uh, charged for that but not knowing about it. And the end result, 1.5 million fake accounts and a half a million uh, fake credit cards. I mean, that's just it's insane it got to that level and it was that widespread. The agents who were doing that were making commissions off doing it. They're getting extra money. And the company was being up to report, oh, we've got all these new accounts, things are booming. But it was fake. It's terrible. So ethical standards are fundamental. Ethics is defined as the standards of moral behavior, that is, behavior accepted by society as right versus wrong. Few Americans have moral absolutes, meaning that you, you know, you're, you're definitely cemented in something. Common standards of ethic behavior come from religion, the golden rule. So what is the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, correct? Or treat others the way you would like to be treated, another version of that. Um, as far as absolutes, do ethics evolve over time? Yes. Why or how? Uh, because that golden rule is like, it started from the Bible, right? An eye for an eye, how Tom and Robin walk. So basically, like, you steal, they cut off your hand. Or like, uh, you are adult, uh, adulterous and they castrate you. So sure. that would seem fair back in those days. Um, and in our modern world, when I say modern world, I'm talking about Earth 2023. Depending on which country you're in, they have a different uh, viewpoint on, on on ethics. You know, like you said, if you steal from some of the United States, you might get a ticket. If you steal from some somebody in Saudi Arabia, you might get your hand cut off. You know, so uh, it, it is. Uh, I guess it depends on the place your place on Earth and the society in which you live in. So they do shift over time, and our ethical standards now will be different a hundred years from now. So you think about how this country, which is an experiment still ongoing, has evolved over time, where we were when we started and where we are now. A lot of things have changed, you know. And so this, this experiment will keep going and um, we'll keep evolving our ethics. So unethical behaviors in office violate safety standards or goof off. Um, personal, most people do not volunteer. We'll talk about that in a second. At school, plagiarize from the internet. Studies found a strong relationship between academic dishonesty and dishonesty at work. That's the real catch-22. It's like I tell my kids. I was like, look, you know, lying is not good because it puts you in a habit where you use that as a crutch, always to get something done or to justify uh, an end. But it creates that habit where you end up having to use it all the time. Um, what about most people do not volunteer? Do you think that's an ethical issue? It's your time. I mean, is what do you think about that? I mean, I don't see it as a big ethical issue either. I mean, uh, you know, it could be, but I don't see it as a big thing. But uh, what do you think the book is talking about there with that point? What's up? Paraphrasing? Kind of, yeah. but like it's essentially like when more of the work is someone else's than your own. Okay. Essentially, like sure. 80, well, the, the thing about plagiarism, um, you know, I don't plagiarize, and it's easier just to cite the source and be done. Like, I mean, uh, these days I think people are dumb to plagiarize because uh, we can we can search for that stuff. So some dilemmas. You must choose between two unsatisfactory alternatives. Ask yourself these questions. Is my proposed action legal? 
That's a first standard. Is what we're about to do legal? In the case of the drunk driver, that's not legal. So that should be a red flag right there. Is it balanced, meaning that this will have a good outcome for myself and others? How would it make me feel about myself? Yeah, we have this thing called intuition, and your intuition automatically gives you a red flag. You know, it'll automatically tell you, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. I don't feel good about this. You know, like, uh, that. That's tell there's something really interesting about human intuition that, and, and there's this, we talk about universal ethics. Um, you can go anywhere in the world and speak to anybody of any other nationality and, and language they speak, and we all know certain things. Like, we know it's not right to hit somebody else. That's a universal known thing that's just, like, in, embedded in our human DNA. We know it's not right to take somebody else's stuff. That's a known thing, right? So we know it's not right to kill people. That's a known genetic, like, innate human thing we have. So um, listen to your intuition. If your intuition is saying... This doesn't feel right. There's a reason why it's telling you that. So ethics must or they should start at the top. Managers can help instill corporate values in employees. Trust between workers and managers must be based on fairness, honesty, openness, and moral integrity. Overly ambitious goals with incentives can create an environment in which unethical actions can occur, like that Wells Fargo example. But number two bullet, um, when I was... I guess I still am a manager, but when I was working in retail management, uh, I wanted to be uh, very just in my decision-making, meaning that everybody can count on me to make the exact same decisions every single time. Like, this, you know, this is the situation, this is what the response is. It's when you start having favoritism and doing things that are unfair to other individuals and groups, that's when you start to have problems. Um, you can't, and the more intelligent you get, the more you learn, you start to look through things through lenses. It's not how you view this scenario, it's how everybody else is gonna view the scenario. So how is every stakeholder that's determined, dependent on my decision, how are they gonna view this? And are they gonna view it through the lens of fairness? Are they gonna be able to see that there was a rationale for why I made this decision? A lot of people don't take it to that level and think through you know, other people's perspectives, but it's important to be able to do that. There's actually a term for that. Uh, metacognition is understanding how you think but it's also thinking about how other people think about perspectives. All right, so factors influencing managerial ethics. Individual, this is the individual manager, the values, work background, family status and personality, the organizational, the top level management philosophy, firms reward systems and job dimensions, and then the environment, the amount of competition, economic conditions, and socio-cultural institutions. Yeah, on that note, one of the reasons why I like working for a college or working for a nonprofit is this idea of competition. <clears throat> yeah, working in the corporate sector or the private sector, um, it's a lot more competitive. There's a lot more cutthroat uh, actions that you see where people are kind of competing and there's this, this tension there. I don't care for that, you know. I like the idea of, of doing a good job, and if you get a reward or, or a promotion, it's based on merits, not based on favoritism. Um, any questions on anything we've talked about so far with regards to ethics? No? Don't get on time. Let's see. Oh, yeah. All right, so some written codes of ethics. We've got a couple different types. Compliance-based ethics. Emphasizes preventing unlawful behavior <clears throat> by increasing control and by penalizing wrongdoers. So... At your job, do you have to take any type of training videos or anything that tell you how to do things? What are those involved with regard to ethics? Do you remember? <coughs> yeah. Did it, like, um, do you have anything on sales training and ways to talk to customers? Or? Yes. Yeah? Is there a specific, like, we've talked about Chick-fil-A before. Yeah. How soon are you supposed to engage a customer when they walk in the door? As soon as they walk in the door. So instantly. You want to be at their attention and let them know when you start going through a spiel. And that's... Well, help them out what they want. Right. Yeah, but there's, a, there's an ethical code you're going through there. You want to make sure that they have a good experience. You want to make sure that they, you align them with the product or service they're trying to get. So, you know, there's, there's, there's ethics that come into that. Integrity-based ethics define the organization's guiding values, 
create an environment that supports ethically sound behavior and stresses a shared accountability among employees. Um, yeah, so integrity, what does that word mean? Integrity. Integrity is this idea that um, the trustworthiness and honesty that you have within yourself. So uh, integrity is one of those things that is a quality that once you compromise it, you never get it back. If I lie to you, I lie to you, are you ever going to trust me 100% again? Right. Because you say, well, even if you do trust me, there's always going to be this 99.99999, right? Because you know that there is a point zero 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 one chance that I may lie to you again, right? And we have that bias within us as human beings. You know, if, if something goes wrong once, uh, you, have to, you have to remember we have this animal instinct within us. We are, you know, mammals. And the animal instinct is to not trust, to recognize that we are not safe until we validate, right? And so imagine us walking around 10,000 years ago with spears, you know, on the plains, and everything we look at, we're not trusting, you know. And it wouldn't take but one time for an animal to sniff at me to know, yeah, I'm not going to trust this animal again, right? And same thing with other with human beings, other human beings we act we interact with. If we get that one time that human's going to lie to us, we subconsciously tell ourselves, okay, I might can trust this person, but there's this shadow of a doubt because they lied to me that one time, you know. And so it, the point being is that once you compromise your integrity, you never get it back 100%. You might get it get back that 99.999, but people will always have that shadow of a doubt because you, you lied to them that one time. That's why I highly encourage you guys just not to do it. You know, be forthright. If you drop the ball at work, if you drop the ball in your personal life, say this, I dropped the ball, I apologize, I'll do better next time. People don't care about that. They get over it very quickly. The challenge is when you drop the ball and then you lie about it. Oh, it's not because my kids do this. My middle child especially, who I love, I love all my children, but my middle child will lie to me about a performance thing she did, like she didn't do good on this, and she's scared that I'm going to be judgmental about the performance, like a test or something. So she'll lie to me about that, and then I, a couple days later I find out about the lie. That's the bigger issue. I'm sure you've experienced that with parents and, and, and family. So integrity, once you lose it, you never get it back 100%. I want to stress that. It's, it's, it's so essential to this chapter. So this is an example of a code of ethics from Hershey. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's in the, the text I sent you earlier, or the, uh, the slides, but this just shows a standard code of ethics from Hershey. They have four main themes here. The commitment to the consumer, the marketplace, the stockholders, the global community. Uh, so for the consumer, uh, we're uh, maintaining the trust the consumers place in our brand by providing the best products on the market, adhering to honest marketing practices, to the marketplace, do business fairly with our partners, suppliers, and competitors, acting ethically to uphold the law in everything we do. We act honestly and transparently at all times, maintaining the trust of our stockholders. So that means they're reporting accurate numbers or not inflating things or lying about things. And lastly, to the global com community, we comply with all our global trade laws, protecting our natural resources and supporting the communities where we live, work, and do business. I love this code of ethics, and there's a reason why it's included in the text because it's concise and it tells you exactly what their philosophy is on ethics from a corporate standpoint. I've never been to the Hershey plant in Pennsylvania, but I would love to go. Has anybody ever been? No, there's actually a hotel behind it, beside it, that they give you Hershey bars every night. That sounds like somewhere I'd like to go check out. So. All right, so six steps to improve the U.S. business ethics. Top management must adopt and unconditionally support an explicit corporate code of conduct. And... One of the best things you can do as a manager leader in the future is if something pops up that somebody's been unethical, address it immediately. That will put a stop to it. Like the alcohol thing should have been nipped in the bud immediately. Like we have zero tolerance for you endangering the lives and uh, safety of our company. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to chastise you know, your, what would happen, but in the, if you were in the decision-making role there, you should have just, if you're the, right, yeah. Yeah, well, in the future, when you are in that decision-making role, you've got to do the hard thing and, and, and make those tough decisions because that lets everybody else know that we don't have any tolerance. Because allowing somebody to work there that's doing that kind of compromising behavior, it actually subconsciously tells everybody else in the organization, this is where their standard is. 
this, they, they don't care about my safety. They don't care about the safety of the public. They don't care about this organization's uh, ability to get sued because of a safety issue or a death, you know, I mean, it's accident or death. So, yeah, you got to be, from the top-level manager, willing to make the hard decisions and just tell them to get out. Like, it's, it's, we have no tolerance for that. And once you draw that line, guess what? The other employees that are there will respect you for looking out for the company and their safety because they don't want to get hurt. They don't want this company to get damaged from something somebody else could do. Employees must understand that senior management expects all employees to act ethically. Yeah, and if you're a senior manager, you've got to act ethically yourself. You can't be lying about the numbers. You can't be stealing from the company. You can't be not coming into work, taking off, going to play golf, that kind of junk. Managers and others must be trained to consider the ethical implications of all business decisions. Think about where things could go wrong. You know, you have to map these things out. An ethics office must be set up with which employees can communicate anonymously. This mainly applies to large companies. A whistleblower is the insider who reports illegal or unethical behavior. The sad but true thing, and we'll talk about a whistleblower in a slide or two. The sad but true thing about whistleblowers is they are blowing that whistle because they have integrity and personal ethics, but often they face unintended consequences from doing that, like uh, persecution, loss of job, retaliation, things like that. Uh, evolved outsider, evolved outsiders such as suppliers, subcontractors, distributors, and customers. Um, I had a friend on Facebook this past week post a post about something. He was working on a goal, and he posted it publicly so there would be an accountability, you know. And so having a committee with you know, participants from the outside has that accountability in place, you know, where somebody's there to hold you accountable. The ethics code must be enforced with timely action if any rules are broken. Yeah, we don't want to sit on something. If something's not working, we got to address it immediately. Uh, questions about any of these six steps? Comments? Ideas? Inspirational quotes? Okay, moving on. Song and dance? All right, this is a whistleblower. So Harry Markopoulos is a forensic accountant who spent nearly a decade uncovering the evidence that Bernie Madoff operates, operated his wealth management company as a gigantic Ponzi scheme. Does anybody know what a Ponzi scheme is? Logan. No, good guess though. Um, it's Angel. Where everybody pulls their money into one big uh, investment and then they never get their money back. So basically, a Ponzi scheme is this. Um, I'll draw it for you, it might work better. If I can find a marker that works well, let's see. So a Ponzi scheme is this: you give me some money, and then you tell you, you like tell your friends they'll give me some money, and then they tell their friends. It looks kind of like MLM, Logan. So that's that's probably why you're thinking about that. But then this guy wants some money back. Hey, where's my money? So it's, this money's already been spent over here. Okay, that money doesn't exist anymore. So what this guy over here does. We'll do a stick figure. Well, this guy over here is that he takes this money from this person and gives it to that person, okay? And then they just keep on going. Oh, things are going well. Look, I got my money. I'm excited, you know? And so they keep doing this, you know, all the way across. And then eventually this person says, hey, where's my money? So they come down here and take this guy's money and give it to that guy. And all the while, all the money, the real money is coming over here. And on paper, when they look at their reports it all looks like the money's still there but in actuality they just keep putting other people's money into into those places what's the problem with this is that eventually there's no more people down here or not enough people like to keep covering all these other people up at the top and then you run into a problem you know the new money stops coming in uh, Madoff didn't get caught until um, the financial crisis when everybody wanted to pull their money out everybody's like hey give me my money back I don't have any money to give you because I've already took it all and spent it. Madoff um, was the most prolific Ponzi scheme in history. Let's see. Although Markopoulos frequently notified the SEC or Securities Exchange Commission about his findings, the federal agency failed to act until Madoff's sons revealed the full extent of the scam to the FBI in 2008. <clears throat> we'll talk about that in a second, the question in a second. But Madoff ended up stealing something like, it's going to sound like made-up number. You're going to think I'm making it up. Something like $65 billion. It was insane how much money the guy stole. Um, he went to prison for the rest of his life and died in prison within the past five years. So did not end well. There's actually a great movie, De Niro Plays, uh, Madoff, it's on HBO if, if you got a chance to watch it. Uh, but 
basically Madoff was living the high life until he realized this Ponzi scheme is coming apart. I'm not going to have money to pay people. And then he just, there was nothing left to do at that point except own it. But what does motivate whistleblowers like Harry Markopoulos? What do you think motivates individuals like that to whistleblow? Ethics. Ethics? Yeah, like when you think about the totality of people that lost everything they had, you know, because if you're that top, and if you're the top few people and you give this individual your money to invest and they send you a piece of paper back that says, hey, your investment's doing well. You know, you made 20% return. They have this notion to want to give that person more. You know, I'll give them more of my money, let them do it, and then they end up with very little or nothing. Remember, uh, going back to this, back up. Remember, uh, safeguard your wealth, number four. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. So um, questions about whistleblowers. There's a ton of examples of whistleblowers um, in, the, in the literature and also in the news, but um, there was one example, Enron, this, this, this accountant who got promoted to a vice president position, she saw what they were doing. Uh, it was highly illegal. Uh, they were inflating their numbers. This was an energy company. They were actually using like rolling blackouts in California to raise energy prices. They were doing it on purpose. And when you have a blackout in a big city like that or a big, big state like that and have a highly populated areas, crime rates skyrocket. People riot. They, they break stuff, loot. And uh, there was a company responsible for that so they could raise energy prices. So how to blow the whistle. Decide carefully and quickly. Make sure you have all allegations filed with the right agencies. File your allegation with as many agencies that are appropriate. Gather your information legally. Stick with the facts. Do not exaggerate. A great recent example that I'm writing down because I might show it to you guys. Um, has anybody ever heard of Elizabeth? Oh, God, what was her last name? Elizabeth Holmes. Thank you, Elizabeth Holmes. Do, tell me, but do you know about her? Yes, that's it. So she went to Stanford. She was, she was a very intelligent person. And halfway through her Stanford career, she said she wanted to be an inventor and a business person. So she wanted to invent this um, portable blood testing machine. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company. It started with a TH. Th Theranos. Theranos, I think is what it was. She invented this device called the Edison, and it just never worked. <clears throat> but she kept telling investors, it's working, it's working. She raised like $10 billion, you know, selling this lie that it was working. And <clears throat> she is about to go to prison for a long time. Um, <laughs> Theranos? Th Theranos, yeah, yeah. Theranos, yeah. Theranos, yeah. So I thought she, was she, she just got convicted. I don't know if she's in prison now, but she's about to get sentenced to a long... I think, I think she's either in jail or she's about to go to prison one. But... I think it was like a 10-year term. Yeah, Elizabeth Holmes. What's that? 11 and a half. 11 and a half year term. There you go. Yeah. So I think she might be pregnant too right now. So she might be having her second kid in jail. So. She already has two kids yeah. too, it says. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a series, that's like Lemony Snicket will say. That's a series of unfortunate events, you know. But she was living the high life, you know, and there's a great documentary. One of them's on Hulu. That's a, that's not, that's a docudrama. I think the documentary is on HBO Max. It's called, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name. It's called The Inventor. That's the name of it. And um, it talks, it catalogs. But in the reason I'm bringing that up is because there were whistleblowers that left the company and said they had what's called an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. So they couldn't legally go talk to these whistle these agencies, but they did it anyway. So they broke their NDA. They got in trouble with the company. They had a lawsuit against them. But ultimately, the crimes that the company had committed were so great that they were able to kind of get through unscathed. But it was a very tense you know, time for those individuals that whistle blew uh, and said, hey, this is a real problem. Great documentary, The Inventor. I need to write that down. Uh, I've got a list of movies and shows I want to show you guys. I don't know if we can get to this one, but that would be a good one to show. All right. So know a little bit about whistleblowing. I've got a few more things before we break up for today. CSR or corporate, corporate social responsibility is a business's concern for the welfare of society. Why would it be good business to care about society? There you go. Like, you have to remember this. People don't care generally until it affects them personally. 
So by me saying, I'm here to help you, that makes me care about you now because you're interested in me. And so when a company does these outreach things to help communities, like a good example is Firehouse Subs. Anybody like Firehouse Subs? What's your favorite sub there? I usually get the brisket. They had this one recently. It was like ham, turkey, and brisket. We always talk about food in here. I'm sorry. Um, but, and I always get hungry talking about it. But so Firehouse has this connection to fire departments. It was started by firemen. So every time they open a new location, they throw a party and invite all the first responders and they give free food to fire, firemen and police officers and stuff and, and EMS crews and stuff like that. That's great PR because what you're saying to this community is we want to invest in you. We care about what you're doing. We appreciate what you're doing. And don't you think that every one of those firemen, police officers, EMS, now have a positive association with that business? They, they stroke a check. They give it to the fire, Firemen's Association. They have a good PR or publicity. I mean, that's great CSR right there, corporate social responsibility. You're showing that you're engaged uh, with that community. It's based on a commitment to integrity, fairness, and respect. Some feel this is not a manager's role, but I disagree. If you want people to care about you and what you care about, you got to care about them and what they're about. Plain. I mean, seriously, like, there's this thing called MBWA, Managing by Walking Around. If I just came in here and just started throwing stuff at you guys, you're not going to be engaged as much. I mean, some of you are not engaged right now. It's okay. But you're not going to be as engaged if I just came in here and started talking. If I asked you how was your weekend, though, tell me what you did, i get you talking a little bit. That's a management technique. It's a classroom management technique, but it applies to work, too. Proponents argue that businesses owe their existence to the societies they serve and cannot exist in societies that fail. That fail. So companies have a vested interest in having a good functioning society. Companies with good ethical reputations attract and retain better employees, draw more customers, and enjoy greater employee loyalty. So scandal, when you, when you hear about a scandal that comes out of a company, it just makes you not want to do business with them. Like, what's a company that's had a scandal... Like, Wells Fargo is an example for me. I could care less about ever doing business with that company because of that scandal. A lot of people don't remember or care. But is there a company that you feel that way about? Monster Energy. Why? Because they lie about their ingredients and they market the children. There you go. There's a good, that's a good rationale. Does anybody else have a company that they don't like their business practices or they had a scandal or they got caught cheating, lying, doing something dishonest that leads you to not want to do business with them? What's up? Okay. Prime Energy, why? Because uh, Logan Paul, he filmed that dead body in Japan, and ever since, like, yeah. Was, as soon as he came out of Prime Energy, I was like, yeah. everywhere. I just don't like it. Yeah, I understand. It makes you have that negative association, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anybody else? Come to, anything else come to mind? What's up? It's a little Walmart, but... Like, I know. And don't go ice I know. Thing. I know. You know why. I know. I know. Yes. I just found out that there's an old man, and like ever since I've moved down here, I've like seen him, but he was gone for a few months, and I just thought he retired because he's an older man. Comes to find out he was a regular at the place that I just started working at, and Walmart had actually fired him because he was getting too old, and everybody like in the community like went back to Walmart and was like, no, you can't do this to this old man. Like he like he genuinely wanted a job, he wanted to go back, and they right. didn't wind up firing him again. But it's just like little things like that when I do. <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with Walmart. I mean, we have history. So, yeah, I get it. Um, I still shop there. Um, well, it's convenient. Well, they're the, they're the price leader on most stuff. If, and if you look at comparable carts of Carly C's or Piggly Wiggly, Food Line, and Walmart, you are going to spend more at the other two versus Walmart. I mean, on groceries. But, um, yeah, I mean, I try to, I guess, go to those other locations as much as I can, you know, so... Um, I think we might have one or two more. A um, couple, yeah, last one for today. Yeah, 18. So <clears throat> some dimensions of company's social performance. Corporate philanthropy includes charitable donations. You see this a lot of those big box stores like Walmart. If you go up to the front, you'll notice they've donated all these thousands of dollars to local charities or local school systems. Corporate social initiatives includes enhanced forms of corporate philanthropy directly related to the company's competencies. Um, Foodline has Foodline Feeds. And they send volunteers out to the fields to help glean. They, they, do, um, uh, they donate to food pantries, things like that. Corporate responsibility includes everything from hiring minority workers 
to making safe products. And then lastly, corporate policy, the position a firm takes on social and political issues. Last thing on this, do you think companies should get involved at all in social and political issues? What's that, John? It depend, I think it depends on the company. If you are a company that markets specifically to a demographic, <clears throat> maybe. Like if, if you know that the majority of your customers fall into this identification, maybe. But you're alienating all the other people. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, I think it's very dangerous for a company to be political or have social agendas. Um, you know, I, I think that's a dangerous territory. And from a business sense, just strictly objective business, I would avoid those types of things. I'm, let me give you one example. I'll see you driving down the road like a maintenance person or a plumber or a moving company or something like that, and they'll have political uh, bumper stickers. You know it's a coin flip if the person behind you agrees or disagrees with your political ideology. Am I going to call this moving company that has a political ideology that might be in opposition to my own? You know, I just, yeah, you're alienating your customer base if you do that. So I just don't think that's advisable. Same thing, if you walk into a restaurant, it's a small business, and they've got a bunch of political jargon. People don't want to think about it. They want to go eat a hamburger. They don't want to care about that stuff. You know, that's just my opinion. So what's up? Well, that's what makes sense. But when I spent time in West Virginia, yeah. like small companies like that, it's kind of the opposite for them Yeah, you're going to find pockets that that have that, you know. But objectively speaking on the whole, I think as a business, you should avoid political and social agendas because somebody's not going to agree with your idea, even if you, you're – I mean, who, who's to say what's right? But I just think you alienate a, a proportion of your customer base by doing that. So, All right, guys. And that could be an ethical dilemma we talk about on Thursday. So don't forget about your homework. Uh, the tests – was actually due on Friday, but you have until this Friday to turn it in. Um, nothing due for Chapter 4 yet. That'll be next week. The essay that I talked about earlier will be due Thursday. Please bring that in. Hand delivered is fine. All right, guys, I'll see you then.